five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher. On this week's episode of the Space Economy Podcast, my guest is Chris Robson, CEO of Wyvern, an Edmonton-based startup in the satellite imaging market with a focus on hyperspectral imaging. The company plans to have its first small satellites launched next year and is singularly focused on its innovative hyperspectral camera. Recently, they announced deals with AAC Clyde Space for its satellites and with Skywatch for an integrated data management solution. Listen in. Welcome, Chris, for the first time to the Space Economy Podcast. Thanks, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. So this is the first time you've been a guest on the show, and your company is a startup. So let's start with a little background. Um, Why did you start Wyvern, and what led you to the attempt to develop a new camera for hyperspectral imaging? There's a few reasons. So the first reason is because it's it's been my it's been my goal in life since well I guess since 2012 to build a space industry in, in the West and and in Canada, and I figured the best way to do that was to to launch satellites and start a business. Uh, the second big reason though was because I I see huge I see huge potential in hyperspectral for being able to monitor the environment of our planet and also just to help different industries optimize what they're doing while also tackling climate change. And then, you know, to answer your third question, how did we start with the sensor? Well, the reason, the way this whole thing started was I was meeting a co-founder of mine for lunch, Kristen Cote, and we were talking about, we were talking about space. We, we, were, we were nerding out about it. And I was talking to her about hyperspectral and about the industry and how I thought it could be really useful if you could, if you could tackle its major problem, which was the cost of satellites. And she started talking about this technology called deployable optics, where you where you unfold a, a huge telescope once you're in space. And that's when it sort of dawned on us that we could combine those two things together, get really low-cost satellites that produce high resolution, and by doing that, be able to tackle hyperspectral. So, all right, we'll get a little bit more into the technology now. Um, and the applications. But so I suppose the first thing I want to ask is, I know you can't get into the details of your proprietary technology, but can you explain what the capabilities of it are and why you think it's a game changer the way you've developed it? For sure. So, I mean, the, the capabilities of our deployable optics technology are such that we, we can achieve the same spatial resolution as Worldview 3 from a satellite that's about the size of a 16-unit cube satellite. Uh, once we once we've qualified it in space, that is. And let me be clear, I'm not saying that we'll get the same imagery as Worldview 3. There's a lot of other things that go into good quality imagery, but we can get the same spatial resolution. And we can also do that. We can get that spatial resolution while providing hyperspectral imagery as opposed to just multispectral. And what are the applications you're specifically targeting for your technology? You know, initially, it's it's agri- it's largely agriculture. That's the first industry that we're focusing on, and we're targeting applications like fertilizer management, like water quality, or sorry, water moisture detection for for different farms, uh, species identification. Eventually, we want to be able to provide the farming industry with the capability of clearly measuring their carbon sequestration during the course of a growing season, 
and also with being able to predict the yields that they are going to reach every single year and provide some actionable insights. But there's other industries, military, government, forestry, mining, energy, that, that there's lots of applications in that, that we'll get to once we've, once we've established ourselves in the agriculture industry. Now, I don't know if you can answer this question because it's actually probably should be directed to Kristen, but how did she, you know, come up with, with the idea of the, you know, the uh, unfolding te- uh, camera technology? Oh, man, you know, that that is a, that I can't answer on Kristen's behalf, unfortunately. Uh, the, the only thing I, the only thing I can say is that Kristen is probably the most intelligent optical scientist I've met to date, and she has a very deep passion for optics and and specifically for for optics when it comes to space. I imagine that that the answer that she would give you is is somewhat related to that, but it, it's really a question that that Kristen should answer herself. Now you said previously that Kristen had been a colleague. So was that with the University of Alberta um, X Alta One, I think, satellite? That's right. Yeah. So Kristen and I we actually met. Uh, Funny enough, we didn't actually meet at the University of Alberta. We, we met in Norway on a University of Alberta a trip uh, to launch rockets at uh, Andoya Space Center. Uh, so we, we launched rockets together. We, we really connected. And then after that, she joined AlbertaSat, and she joined the mechanical engineering team, and she helped build and launch the Alberta's first satellite. That, and that's how we became colleagues. All right. So now... Let's get into some of the things that have happened uh, uh, a little bit more recently. Um, you recently hired uh, veteran space technology expert Christine Tovey as your chief technology officer. And I'll note that uh, Christine was also recently a member of the independent government appointed space advisory board in Canada. Uh, how did you manage to entice Christine to join your startup and how will she help you shape the company? So uh, first, that, that's a really great question. We started working with Christine when we were going through Creative Destruction Labs, and she became an advisor for uh, for Wyvern, and, and she was an advisor for about two years. Now, back in January of this year, we were meeting with Christine uh, as we normally did, and Christine said, you know what, guys, I'm, I'm looking to join something uh, you know, new and, and something permanent and something that I can make a big difference with my past experience, and I, I really like working with you guys. I think the thing that attracted uh, Christine to us is, one, we work really well together. Uh, what I mean is by that is the Wyvern team and Christine, we've always worked really well together. The second thing though, is that we're doing something that's that's very interesting technologically and fits very well into our own capabilities as, as, as the previous CTO of Airbus North America. You know, Christine is gonna be able to help us with the technology development roadmap that we're putting together, making sure that all the pieces fit at the right points in time and she's also going to bring a strong level of experience to our team and, and in areas that we previously, we just don't have. We're, we're just, we've just been too young of a team to have gone through a lot of the things that Christine has gone through at, at being a veteran of the aerospace industry as she is. And I bet she'll probably be able to open some doors for you that you weren't, you know, might not be able to get through previously. She already has. That's, that's definitely a true statement. Hi. Now, 
Uh, aside from bringing Christine on board, um, you also had two other announcements uh, that were quite important uh, this year. Uh, first, you selected AAC ClydeSpace as the satellite manufacturer you'll use to host your camera. Uh, interesting, interestingly, you won't own the satellite. You'll be basically renting or leasing it. How did the selection of Clyde come about and why this business model? You know, it's, it's been very interesting with Clyde because we've actually been speaking with them since the very beginning of Wyvern. I'll be, we, we had no idea that this is where it was going. We, we were just talking to them as a satellite supplier. I knew Clyde from my time in AlbertaSat. We used some of their solar panels on Exalta One, and we were very impressed with the quality of their, of their technology. We selected Clyde because, for a number of reasons. Uh, the first one is because they had excellent customer service. We knew who they were. And because when we asked them for some information, you know, they they were very straightforward with us on what the, the quality of that information, but also any sort of risks, any sort of uh, rewards. They, they, they did a very good job of saying, hey, you know, this is what we can do uh, for you based off the information that you requested. They were very, very diligent in providing a, a very good proposal for us. Uh, so... There was a few things in there. The reason why we decided to go with this sort of service, though, you know, it's it came down to a few things. The, the first thing is having built a satellite before, me and my team, we really know how hard it is to do and to get that right. Exalta One was a, was a tough satellite. And in, in some ways, we were really lucky that it worked as well as it did in orbit. We knew that the amount of technology risk involved in building our own satellite was it's just a big hurdle to cross, especially for, especially for a you know for our team. And the second reason is because we looked at the business case and it made financial sense. It's uh, you know we we were able to provide, put together a business model that was still competitive uh, with other satellites, um, other Earth observation companies, while also de-risking the technology and the satellites. Uh, sorry, the while also de-risking the technology. Uh, for the first three satellites, so that we could focus entirely on the market risk, it was a, it was a really important thing for us to do. Now, um, ah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the satellites themselves. So tell me a little bit about the satellite that you're going to be using. So the satellite is a it's a six U Epic satellite uh, provided by ClydeSpace. We're going to be capturing hyperspectral imagery with the satellite. We're going to be doing uh, a, between twenty and thirty two bands and. We're going to be, you know, capturing about. Uh, we're going to be capturing over ten thousand square kilometers of hyperspectral imagery every single day at about a five meter ground resolution. And this will be in uh, low Earth orbit. That's correct. It'll be about five hundred and fifty kilometers in a sun synchronous orbit. Our goal for the first three satellites is to get a revisit rate of about three days over the midwestern United States. Now. Um... In terms of the satellite itself, are you the only customer, if you will, on the satellite, or are you actually sharing the satellite with uh, other companies who have other instruments or sensors? We're the only co- company on board the satellite. We do have exclusivity uh, for the for the satellite and the data. And uh, how long uh, are you planning on using the satellites? For four years. Uh, their, so their scheduled lifetime is four years. And uh, I mean, in essence, while we don't legally own the satellite, as as far as the business plan is concerned, it's as if we do. Now, are you revenue sharing with uh, Clyde? 
we uh, we we're, we're we're not as part of the as part of the the contract that we have with Clyde. Uh, we pay for a a portion of the cost of the satellite over the course of its lifetime. So, um, okay, so you said you're going to have an initial three satellites. When's the first one launching? The first one is going to launch in April of 2022. And then the next two are going to launch in June of 2022. And have you got a launch provider yet? I don't know that off the top of my head, unfortunately. Okay. I believe, that we, I believe that we do. Um, and right. I can definitely double check that. Uh, and who's actually procuring that? Is, is Clyde doing that for you? Uh, yes, yes, they are. So they're taking okay. care of all the all the launch, they're the bus, the integration, as well as uh, LEOP and, and the operations for the rest of the satellite's lifetime. And, and so, so it leaves you to focus on the capabilities of, of, of your uh, technology. Um, okay, so three satellites initially, uh, any more satellites? Eventually, yes. Uh, we haven't contractually agreed to any yet. Um, you know, right now, the plans that Wyvern has for satellites, we're, we're going to launch uh, about 20, we, we want to launch about 27 of this generation of satellite. We're going to be launching three generations of satellite. The second one is going to be able to hit a resolution in panchromatic below one meter, as well as hitting 2.5 meters hyperspectral. And then the, the third generation of satellite is, is going to, it's, it's going to compete with some of the highest resolution satellites that, that have ever been created. All right. So now the other announcement that you made recently, uh, which ties into all of this uh, as far as the business plan is concerned. So you've got Clyde that's going to uh, build the satellite, integrate uh, your technology, then get it launched. And so you don't have to worry about any of that. Uh, and now you're going to use Skywatch, their TerraStream product, uh, which is their integrated data management solution um, to basically, I suppose, get the data from the, the satellite through the ground station into your cloud network, I would assume. And then, uh, and then from there, um, either you'll sell directly to customers or you'll do a combination of sell directly and possibly have Skywatch uh, sell some of it as well or allow them to sell it. Is that, is that the way uh, it's gonna happen? That's, uh, yeah, that's 100% right. You mean I got it right the first time? <laughs> you, you did. You nailed it. I nailed it. Okay, but what can you tell me about the Skywatch thing? I mean, in terms of TerraStream, what, what does it do for you? I mean, how much, you know, how, because I've never actually seen the product, um, you know, how how does it efficiently help you? I'll, I'll answer that in a roundabout way. So one of our biggest, one of the biggest things that has come to my attention from customers that when I, whenever I've asked them, you know, what have you learned from other startups who've who built and launched satellite constellations? One of the things that they've always told me is that those startups, they always focused on the space segment and they never got the ground station or the, or the ground segment right, right off the bat. It was always the furthest thing from their mind. The, the first thing was always just to get the spacecraft up and, you know, under, I can understand why that is being a spacecraft guy myself. I think though, that one of the things that we as, as space engineers don't necessarily think about as, as hard as we should. We don't think about the product that the spacecraft is going to produce and who it needs to get to as well as we should and, and how complex that might actually be. The fact is, is that Earth observation data, it's, it's, not, it's not a simple data set. It's, it's one of the reasons why it, 
it's not truly a commodity. Every single data set, it's very different. It's very complex. It's very unique. And getting it out to the right people is, is a very, very difficult thing to, to do. You, you need to have the infrastructure on the back end to manage, store, process all that data and make sure that the data that's coming out of that infrastructure, that it's ready to be analyzed. That's what Skywatch is providing uh, providing for us. We're going to be able to feed raw data into Skywatch's platform, and Skywatch is going to be able to take care of all the logistical uh, all the logistics behind storing, processing, managing that data set, and allowing us to provide it easily to our customers. That's that's the biggest thing, and that's that's something that me and my team we are you know we're not we're not data management people we're we're spacecraft people through and through and it's it's a capability that that james sleefers and and his team they bring to the table that is incredibly important to us it's something that we would have to invest a lot of money in building ourselves otherwise all right so um you've uh, you've got clyde you've now got skywatch um when you launch your satellite Q2 next year, how soon after its launch will it be commissioned and delivering data to customers? And those are, I suppose, are two different answers in terms of commission and then delivering the data. Right now, we're estimating it'll be anywhere from 40 to 60 days. I I don't know for sure, to be honest, though. I, I suspect that the 60-day mark is... Is the mark that we're going to get hit with with, with a high high level of probability, and that's just from my own previous experience in commissioning satellites. It never goes the way that you think it's going to go, so I imagine that it's going to be closer to the higher end of that mark. Right. So, uh, and that'll give you enough time to uh, actually see if the technology is doing what you had hoped it would do. That's right. Yeah, it's going to give us enough time to see if the well, one, if the satellite's working, two, if the technology is going to do what we think it's going to do, but then three, to calibrate our imager, get our data ready, work with Skywatch to make sure, and ClydeSpace to make sure that the pipeline from imaging all the way to data processing and delivery to a customer is ready to go. Then we can start giving this data out to our our customers. All right. So Q2 2022 is coming up. It's actually not in in terms of space, I suppose, not that far off. Um, So my next question is, are you uh, actively uh, signing up customers at this point? Yeah, we are. Uh, And in fact, we've got several customers in our, in our pipeline that I I can't, I can't announce yet, but that are close to either signing a contract with us or or just at the very early stages of doing that. Uh, We are, we are actively signing up customers. We've got a we've got a deal on for for early adopters. Uh, they it's called our first light program, um, and what that is is in exchange for you know giving us some feedback on the data quality and also being an early adopter. You know we'll give you a discount on the data, uh, and our right now our goal is to just get 100% data capacity if possible for our first three satellites. Now, uh, I don't know how much you can tell us, but because you know you don't want to give away too much i would assume but you know what are we talking about in terms of uh pricing and price reduction from what you would normally pay for this kind of imagery so right now if if you wanted to order imagery from another satellite supplier typically um it, it honestly depends on how much you want to order if you're doing it in volume you know we're pretty comparable. 
I, I would I would argue that while we are comparable in price, our quality will be better. But it, the big difference I think is going to come down to when you want to when you find these smaller customers that don't want to order, you know, 5,000, 10,000 square kilometers at a minimum, they want to order, you know, five square kilometers or, or, or 50 square kilometers, you know, at, at that point, there's going to be a huge difference. And the reason why is because of this thing called the minimum order size that, that happens in our industry. Um, well, well, I can't, I, well, I can't comment yet on the price of our minimum order size. What I will say is that our minimum order size is one square kilometer. And when you compare that to others in the industry whose minimum order sizes are between 100 and 5,000 square kilometers, that's that's a really big deal. Now, uh, in terms of customers, uh, are you focusing primarily on uh, Canada or North America, or are you you're just going global? We're we're focusing primarily on North America right now. Uh, we won't say no to global customers, but the reason the reason why we're not focusing outside of North America is primarily because it, of the, the sort of culture in other countries and, and us not knowing enough about how they do business. Uh, the fact is, is that if I wanted to sell Earth observation in, in Europe or in, in Africa, I've, I've never done business there. I don't know what, it, I, I don't know any of the, any, any sort of social uh, protocols there that I, I might have to follow. So anyways, to get around that, what we're doing is we are working with resellers that are global. Those resellers will take care of markets outside of North America for us at this time. And I, I, I suspect that that's going to be true for a long time into the future. Uh, it's not that we don't want to go global. It's just that expanding beyond a market like North America, it definitely requires an investment into, into sales and, and on the ground research. All right. So um, let's talk about funding. Uh, you've received some money from the Canadian Space Agency through their Space Technology Development Program uh, for your camera technology, and I'm sure that really uh, was a, a good Kickstarter. Um, you also received a, an initial award from the Defence Research and Development uh, Canada. Um, have you applied, and we'll get to other funding in a minute, have you applied for any subsequent government funding programs? Yeah, so aside from DRDC and the CSA, we, we've also received awards from uh, the Green STEM program from the government of Alberta, which, which was definitely instrumental right off the bat of, of helping our company get off the ground. We've also received some awards from, from NRC IRAP and, and some smaller awards from local organizations like Alberta Innovates. There have been other programs that we've applied for that, that we didn't get, um, and the reasons after were, were pretty clear. And most of the time, it was just because we weren't really, we weren't quite the right fit, and the competition was pretty, pretty heavy. Now, what about the the Canadian Space Agency Space Technology Development Program? Have you applied for subsequent uh, funding for uh, taking the technology to another level or other technology? So we we got the we got the Space Technology Development Program for us for. Uh, the announcement of opportunity uh, 6.2. We haven't seen another announcement of opportunity that aligns specifically with the development of the hardware from the CSA yet. There have been a few programs around the actual Earth observation data itself. We haven't. Uh, we we have. We did apply to one uh, that uh, we didn't get into, unfortunately, and and the reason why was 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 clearly because what we what we were proposing just wasn't quite what they had in mind for the program. And, and it was a long shot. We knew that from the start. But 
uh, we also haven't seen any other programs that that we think is are, are really good fit for our technology and our company at this time. Now, at least not from the Canadian Space Agency's perspective. Now, um, okay, so that's government money uh, and you know both local and and federal. What about raising money? Are you in the process of trying to raise a seed round of funding, and if so, how much? We are. So we uh, we actually started uh, near the beginning of April, uh, raising a $500,000 round. Um, and uh, we closed that in about two months. And we had so much interest that we decided to raise it to 1.5 million. Uh, so right now we're in the process of closing that. Uh, we're, we're aiming to close uh, in August. Um, and we've, we've got quite a bit of interest uh, for, for closing that. And we've received investments. Some, we've, we've received about a third of, of that total already uh, in our bank account. We're just we're just waiting for the for the close date to fill out the rest of the round. And uh, after you close this one, let's say by August um, next year, are you going to do another round, or you're just going to wait and work off of some revenue that comes in next year? We're going to be doing another round uh, by uh, by November or December of this year, or January February of of 2022. And the reason why we're doing that round so close after after this round is because by that time, the only other money that we're going to need is going to be to pay for the launch of the satellites. And we'll also hit some pretty value-added milestones by that time for technology development as well as for sales. Now, the, the fundraising, would that be the, the one later this year? Would that be a Series A or is this just what you'd still consider seed? I would still consider it a, a seed round from a space perspective anyway. From what I've from what I've observed, you, you typically see seed rounds in in our industry going between three and three, five, or six million US, and and so I, I would expect that this one would the now the one that I'm talking about for December that would that would be a seed round. Will your hyperspectral imagery uh, be useful uh, to government agencies with respect to climate change and and and, and wildfires? Yes, it absolutely will be useful for environmental monitoring and for wildfire monitoring. And, and in fact, with AlbertaSat, they're currently working on Exalta 2, which is focused on monitoring wildfires with, with a hyperspectral imager. Mind you, their imager has a coarser resolution than ours does, and they're very mission-focused on monitoring wildfires. That being said, our data will definitely be useful. All right. So uh, I've exhausted my question list. Any last thoughts? Uh, you know, honestly, Mark, it's been a it's been a whirlwind of a year. I mean, things have accelerated so fast. And has how, how has COVID uh, affected your business, or has it? I would say the biggest way it's affected our business is we haven't been able to really meet in person as a team. That's and I think one of the things I realized like during COVID is is how much I how much I took for granted like fa- like actual FaceTime with people. I mean, sitting on a Zoom meeting all day, I, I always, before this whole thing happened, I always assumed that the future of business and of, of socializing was likely going to, well, maybe not socializing, but at least business was going to be over a Zoom meeting. And once COVID is over, I just can't wait to get out and actually meet people for coffee again. Even if it takes 15, 30 minutes for me to drive, I just, Zoom is exhausting. Yeah, uh, I so think we'll, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think there'll be a balance. I mean, I don't think uh, uh, these types of virtual meetings will disappear. 
um, because they are very productive and they can be very productive uh, when you know you can't meet with somebody who's in another city let's say because it's just going to take too much time uh, and it can be that uh, but meeting people in person yeah I'm, I'm with you on that um, so uh, interesting but you are a technology company and you've got to build technology so how are you building your camera um, if your team isn't together in you know your facility and by the way are you do you have offices at this point are you getting new offices or, or what are you doing uh to answer your first question employees basement uh with a strict policy around uh around the number of people that work there and, and using masks and stuff uh, but to answer your second question we actually did have an office right at the start of covid with the university of alberta through the greenstem program unfortunately as soon as it started uh, the University of Alberta had uh, had to close its doors and restrict access, which all affected us pretty heavily. We had to take everything out of our office and move it into my garage first, and then eventually into this employee's basement, so that we could keep up our our hardware development. Because I mean, without an optical table and without uh, being able to assemble parts and, and test stuff out with with the sort of equipment we needed, it's really really hard to develop our technology. Uh, that's probably uh, you know come to think of it. I think that's been the biggest impact of COVID. It's definitely slowed our technology development progress. To answer your second question, we are looking for office space right now. Uh, we're probably going to be moving into a, into an actual office space within the next two to three months. And as a matter of fact, I forgot to ask you, uh, how many people are working for the company now? Oh, that's a hard question because it seems to be changing every week. Um, Approximately. Right now, I believe we have 10 full-time and three part-time. Right. We, we just hired somebody new, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll announce our, our newest uh, team member on the 19th of July. Uh, yeah, yeah, so I believe, it, I believe it's 10 full-time. And are you going to expand adding more employees by the end of the year? We definitely will. I believe we're looking to hire another six people by the end of the year. All right. Unless you've got any other thoughts, I think we'll leave it at that. And, uh, you know, as things uh, move forward, uh, especially come uh, launch time, we'll uh, circle back and, 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 and talk to you then. And, and, you know, maybe after the launch and see how things are going, you know, after commissioning and stuff. And, and uh, you can fill us in on how the company's doing and uh, how the technology works. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the, the time on the, the podcast today. This has been exciting. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Your feedback is very much appreciated. Please use our Twitter channel, at The Economy Space, to contact us, or send an email to podcast at spaceq.ca. Help others discover our podcast by writing a review on whichever platform you use. Thank you.